Good afternoon. Welcome to the Mystery Relevant Podcast. It is Friday, June 9th. I'm your host, Jamie Mottram, and it is my pleasure to introduce for the first time ever on the Mr. iPod from Nat's baseball blog, Harper Gordek. Harper, how are you, man? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? This is good. Uh, I have been a longtime reader of Nat's baseball. Uh, first time first we've time ever caller. Yeah, first time caller. First time we've ever spoken. Uh, still haven't met in person, so this could this could get awkward. Um, no, I try to meet as few people in person as possible. You know, increasingly, I'm subscribing to that notion, <laughs> that, that that approach to life. Um, I really enjoy Nats baseball, not just in general, but I mean your blog specifically. Uh, it's really strong uh, analysis. Uh, not only from a quantitative perspective, which seems to be how you approach things and how you approach, you know, writing about baseball, but also, uh, the voice, like you bring, uh, style to the substance that I appreciate and that keeps me coming back. So thanks for, thanks for writing so much. (laughs) No, well, thank you for saying that. Um, Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, it helps kind of coming from the outside. I'm not, you know, a, a traditional, Washington DC Nats fan, so mm-hmm. um, I have a little bit of an outsider view to it, and I think that at least is interesting to me, and um, that's all that really matters to me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, you're not Bob Carpenter, is what you're saying. You're like the yeah. opposite end of the spectrum in terms of Nats observation from Bob Carpenter. <laughs> um, what was the? Like, I don't remember when the blog started. I don't remember when I started reading. It's been years. Like, what is the origin story of? And for the readers who aren't familiar, it's natsbaseball.blogspot.com. Like, how did it get started? Well, the I don't want to go on too long about that, but basically, it's a tale of spite. Um, sometime around 2004, when people seemed to be putting out a lot of personal blogs. I was not, but I was reading one of my friends, and you know, like most people, he started the blog, wrote a lot, and then slowed down over time, and I would complain that I didn't have anything to read because he wasn't writing it, and he said it was hard, and I said, well, it can't be that hard to put out a daily blog. I'll do it, um, but I didn't want to do it on my personal life. I don't share too much about myself online, uh, so I was like, well, I'll do it about baseball, but I had this... Uh, kind of fear that if I did it on the Yankees, which is the team that I follow, I grew up in upstate New York, um, that I would end up not liking them for some reason. Like I still was kind of new to this whole thing and wasn't sure if I started digging that I'd end up going, oh, Derek Jeter's terrible. Why is this person playing all the time? Something like that. Um, I was like, well, let me pick a team that doesn't seem to have a lot of online representation. And so I was the Expos. And I started to write about the Expos on exposebaseball.blogspot.com, uh, which is still out there if you want to look at it. Uh, and then they turned into the Nationals fairly soon after I started. I think within a couple months of me starting to write about the Expos, they were officially moved to D.C. for the upcoming year, and I haven't stopped since. Uh, the blog is not, you know, complete from 2004 to now because for a while I was on a network. Generally, if someone asked me, oh, you want to do this? I was like, oh, all right, fine, I'll, I'll join your network. Uh, turned out I didn't like that at all. So then I've kind of said no to any other request that's come down the line. But that's why there's this gap of like five years where there's 
no Nats blog stuff on, on the page, but I was blogging about the Nats at that time. And, and then I came along and offered you like just a, a truckload of cash to do the Mr. Relevant podcast, and here we are. Yeah, I mean, this is great. I, the <laughs> things I'm going to buy, the places I'm going to go. <laughs> I had no idea that it went back to the Expos, um, and the Nats were bad for so long. I mean, mostly terrible for like seven years. But that makes um, it for it makes for a good uh, a good bit of writing. Like there's a lot. It's hard, you know. They say like, what is it? Happiness writes white. <laughs> it's hard to write about a good team, uh, in in some sense, because generally people just you just want to complain. I mean, <laughs> and, and the, the, the bad team had plenty of things to complain about. I, yeah, I mean, when Ronnie Belliard's your best player, that's true. Um, yeah. I think there was a year where Belliard might have been like. Maybe not the best, but like one of the top. He was two or up three. there. He yeah. was definitely up there sometime <laughs> around there. Not he wasn't Dimitri Young, but he was he was right next. We, we should we should go through like that era of Nats, like the Hall of Famers at some point. Maybe that'll be another yeah. pod. Um, <laughs> but times are much better now. Um, you wrote recently about Max Scherzer and kind of like his place among the great pitchers. Um, he's I mean he's he's clearly been one of the great pitchers for I don't even know six years, seven years, something like that. Um, but this year seems to be like on another level, you know, he's, I think he's allowing less than six hits per nine innings while striking out more than 12 batters per night. So like twice as many K's yeah. as strike, oh, yeah. K, twice as many K's as hits allowed. Um, so where does he stack up against the other greats? Is he, would you say, I mean, I already know what you're going to say in terms of he's <laughs> not the greatest. About it, yeah. Well, yeah, but, but it was a little unclear. Like, okay. So number one is Kershaw and that part is clear. Yeah. But, like, could you summarize for my friend Chip, who admittedly is an idiot, and he <laughs> refuses to acknowledge that Kershaw is the best pitcher in baseball, could you just, like, tell him why he's the best pitcher in baseball? Well, I'll give your, uh, your friend a little bit of leeway, because if you wanted to say that the best pitcher in 2017 so far is Max Scherzer, there's an argument to be No, he's been that. saying this for, like, three years. It's, like, a period uh, of time, yeah. <laughs> If, if you're going beyond that, it, it's basically Max's argument is simply he didn't get injured last year. Mm-hmm. I mean, he has, he has, you know, 70 more innings or so pitched than Kershaw over the last three years, um, which is, you know, it's consequential. It's not nothing. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, uh, Kershaw has been just so much more dominant than any other pitcher in Major League Baseball over, over that time period. And, and frankly, it's more of a cumulative thing like Kershaw has been dominant now since like 2011 mm-hmm. and that has just been you know some a complete dominance like whip under one uh, the OPS is going to be down near like 600 or so. I mean it's it's good, ridiculous numbers mm-hmm. and, and Max just doesn't have that uh, that either the stats that Kershaw has or the longevity that Kershaw has uh, Max has been really, he had a really good year that last, the second to last year he was on the Tigers. Is then that the he had, year he won Cy Young? Yeah, that's the year he won the Cy Young. Mm-hmm. And then he had a decent year um, that next year. I, I mean, you know, from, a good year. It just wasn't as good. It well, was that's Cy why, Young worthy. That, well, that's why we were able to afford him at a $210 million deal. <laughs> yeah. And then, but then since he's been with the Nats, he's been as good as anybody. Right. Um, uh, except for Kershaw. Except, and, yeah. and so that, I mean, that's, it's hard to look at the numbers and really come up with a reason why Scherzer over the past five years, over the past three years, 
is a better pitcher than Kershaw. Mm-hmm. It just it just isn't there. Um, you'd have to you'd have to say that the most important thing was strikeouts because that's basically the only place that Scherzer is going to really say really have that kind of advantage over Kershaw it, across the board. Otherwise, except for the injury, Kershaw is clearly better. I, um, I, I but think... but as we said, like 2017 could be different. So right, if you're just looking at this first third of a season. Yep. I think I think my idiot friendships. Uh, by the way, love you, Chip. I think my idiot friendships <laughs> um, argument is, and this is kind of predates October 2016, is that Kershaw was bad in the playoffs, and that's when it counts, and that's where he was like he was kind of saying, "Give me Bumgarner any day of the week," that sort of thing, that sort of argument, which is not all that quantitative. It's more like it's just really looking through the straw at, at the playoffs. Well, there, there, you know, that's one way to evaluate a player. I mean, I'm not going to tell you it's not. What it comes down to is winning a championship so you can go ahead and say you know this is the the player that performs best in the playoffs that's the guy i want mm-hmm. of course then you you know you bring in a lot of other guys who aren't nearly as good as kershaw Baumgartner is a, is you know a, the perfect example to use because he is really good during the regular season but there are guys who catch fire in the playoffs and you don't want to say that person's better than kershaw so- and, and scherzer himself he had an up and down kind of um experience in the playoffs mm-hmm. i mean he wasn't Scherzer, as we all know him now, um, I think the Cy Young year was the only year, was the last year he was in the playoffs with Detroit. So it's a couple of those previous years, but, you know, he, he wasn't great. Yeah, and with the Nats, you only get a start or two before you're out of the playoffs, Yeah, you get, you get yeah. just the LDS. <laughs> right. um, I'm not sure how you want to evaluate or answer this, but, like, how... I don't know if you want to look at, you know, the past three years just this year or like a window of time that projects into the future, but like who is the second best pitcher in baseball? No, I, I mean, I, I think it's pretty clearly Scherzer. Mm-hmm. Um, when, I, when I went into the blog post I wrote a couple days ago when I was looking at Scherzer and it was just like, oh, I, there's just no denying this guy's really good, in part because I was kind of saying that Jordan Zimmerman would have been better to keep. <laughs> and at this point, I you know, there's virtually no way that that is going to hold up. Well, over hold the on, let me let contracts. me pause you there because that's interesting. <laughs> now you're saying he would have been better to keep at the at the value that he signed for, or the yeah. the, the deal he signed for with Detroit versus the deal that Scherzer got, which was like twice as much in terms of dollars. Yeah, basically, my my thought process. Now, everything I've thought about that is based on the idea that. I felt Jordan Zimmerman was less likely to get injured than Scherzer over the course of the contract. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, immediately first year in Detroit, Zimmerman hurts his, I think his legs. I think he hurts his neck. I mean, not related to his arm, but right. he, he goes down and I mean, pitchers are pitchers and then everything blows. And Scherzer becomes, you know, the second best pitcher in baseball. Right. Um, but going back to your original question mm-hmm. about he, about the second best pitcher, it's him. I mean, I, the the closest person in argument after that, um, you could go with Bumgarner if you're going to go with the argument about the playoffs. Um, in terms of his uh, regular season ability, he's a little bit a little bit less impressive than some of these other guys. Um, Sale would be the other one I would even consider. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got the high strikeouts. He's got the uh, reasonable amount of walks. Uh, the guys don't hit him very well. Um, he stays but healthy. That would be it. He stays yeah, healthy. He stays it's healthy. like every year he puts up ridiculous numbers, and he gets a lot of these other starts. guys that uh, bounce around. Uh, that names get brought up. They have a good year and they have an okay year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Grinky's like that. He had that really great year with the Dodgers. 
a couple of years ago, but he then he was eh with the Diamondbacks last year. Um, Kluber was really good one year, but he's not doing so great this year. I think Arietta's the same. He's not having a great year this year. Um, I'd say that I'd probably lean towards someone like Syndergaard uh, being the next kind of guy. And like, if I'm not going to pick Sale or, or Bumgarner or Scherzer, right. Syndergaard, kind of but he's out the been top hurt. Five. Yeah. Um, yeah, Grinky. The other day, I was looking at him just in the context of Bryce Harper's contract, and Grinky has like the biggest annual average, I guess, at thirty-four million. Uh, I think that's right. Um, I was like, how the hell did he get thirty-four million? And then I looked at those like three years he had in a row before he got that deal, especially like the last year, and it was like, holy shit, um, he was on another level. Yeah, when you're the best guy available in any free agent year, you're just going to cash in. That's just going to be the way it is. That guy get cashes in. The next guy might not. You know, the Edwin Encarnacion might have a problem getting getting the contract, but that that top guy is going to, someone's going to pay him top dollar. Right. Um, it'll be interesting to see that dynamic with Bryce Harper and Manny Machado in a year and a half. Um, yeah, Machado is not having a great year this year. Yeah. He's been injured on and off, so that helps Bryce if mm-hmm. he's okay. <laughs> um... And I think Harper, I, whatever, I'm not even going to get into that one. Um, something that was interesting in your post, it was kind of down the list of top starters, was Strasburg, who you had, I think, in like the 10 to 15 range. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, you could say, let's say around 15. Around 15. Uh, it depends, yeah. So in, when I read that, I was like, in my head, I, I, my perception of him was, was higher. You know, like definitely like a top 10 guy. And then I looked at the numbers and how much time he's missed. I mean, he's, I don't, you know, probably averaged 150 innings maybe a year. I'm just going off the top of my head here. Um, never had an ERA under three other than, like, you know, an early year when he didn't get that many starts, maybe his first year. Yeah. Um, I, again, I don't have the stats in front of me, but it was not nearly as impressive as I would have guessed. No, yeah, his first year, I mean, that first year pre-injury, 2010 we're talking about, that was yeah. his best year. That yeah. was the year he was most dominant. Um, since then, he's been very consistent, and he's been consistently very good when he's been playing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, he hasn't had that breakout kind of year that might push him up into the top ten. Like, a, like I think Cueto had a really good year one year, and mm-hmm. – um, Guys like that, but he and he hasn't had the just the accumulation of innings that would also put him up there. So you're, you're dealing with a very good pitcher who is sometimes injured. It's hard for me to put a guy like that in the top ten. Now I do think we kind of overrate or underrate our starters. Like we we have this idea like oh this is the number one type, this is the number two type, this is the number three. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the actual way that pitching is distributed across the major leagues. What, like, in our mind is a number three starter really is, like, you know, number two for most people. Like, it's just not there. We, we think there's these, all these great pitchers out there, and they're just not there. Um, so Strasburg is definitely where he is, like, in the top 15. He's not any lower. But, he, but what he is is a very good pitcher who gets injured sometimes. Well, that's interesting because, like, the average team, like, the average rotation, their number one starter would be roughly, like, the 16th best pitcher in the league, 16th best yeah. starter. And they have Scherzer, who's number two. And the number two starter on average would be about, like, the 48th best starter in the league. I don't know. I'm just kind of, like, guessing here. Something um, like, yeah. Yeah. Whereas Strasburg's, like, 15. And then you keep going down the line, and it's like, well, number three should be, like, the 70th best. And, and number four should be, like, the 90th best. And they've got, like, Roark and Geo. 
in those spots. Yeah, it doesn't work exactly like that because yeah. what happens is, you know, you get your San Diego's whose best starter is, you know, the the 40th best guy in the league and stuff <laughs> right. like that. And so, like, the, the better teams have better groups of starters. Yeah. And so if you want to be a better True. team, you don't want to have just the average type across the board. I guess the but point you, is, like, the Nats are just so spoiled in this regard. Yeah. Oh, totally. And, and they have been now since 2012. They've had... You know, first with Strasburg, Zimmerman, and Geo, and now with Scherzer, Strasburg, and Rourke. Um, just three guys who most people would have as a number one or number two. I mean, Geo's a little pushing it in that middle area, but so, for the most part during his, the early years, that's what he was. He was, he was good enough to be a number two-ish three. Yeah, he won, he won 20 games, and that's the ultimate measure yeah, of the I mean, pitcher, his right? Yeah, first year was legitimately great. <laughs> yeah. Um, I did look back at that recently, and I think he was like number two for the Cy Young, or maybe three. Um, he was up there. Um, I'm going to try to make a transition here into Dusty Baker territory because that's been kind of a, a hot topic the, towards the end of this week. Uh, is him, you know, being on on the last year of his contract, and and that's kind of an odd predicament um, for him to be in, um, given that they're in first place for the second year in a row, and and whatever. Um, but how much credit should he get for that when he's had these starters, you know, who have been totally healthy both last year and this year? Not totally, but, like, for the most part healthy. Like, I feel like anybody could be managing this team and they'd be in first place. Is what the, the way that learners approach managers and manager contracts, because they've done this before with Davey and Riggleman, et cetera, mm-hmm. is that so bad? Is that wrong, the way that they're handling this? I mean, it... It's not the way that I would handle it. Let's just put it that way. I mean, I, I don't think it's asking much to give a, a manager who has had success some sort of um, uh, what's the word? confidence that he's going to have more than just a year left. You know, right. a vote of confidence for him, like not a, not a in-media vote of confidence, which means you're going to get fired, but a real vote of confidence. You're signed for an extra year. You know you're going to have this job. If he's done a good job, why, why not give him that? It's true. I, I agree with you. Like, It'd be hard-pressed for a manager to run this team into the ground. I mean, Matt Williams took this team to the playoffs, and no one thinks Matt Williams was a good manager. Right. Uh, they, they won nearly 100 games, right? It was like 98, I think, 96, something mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can't argue with the fact that the manager position – is not necessarily that important, especially for regular season success. But um, you have Dusty Baker, and he's had this success. Why not just give him that next year? Right. I, I tend to agree with you. Also, in light of Dusty straight up saying that he wants to coach or to manage next year as well. You know, like that's his his yeah. intention. He's made that known. There. I mean, he wants to get to the Hall of Fame. I mean, he's made that perfectly clear. Mm-hmm. And I think he understands something that, that I had talked about before, which is, you know, he doesn't have the World Series win. He, he's only been in it one time. Mm-hmm. Uh, his postseason record is not great. Uh, his regular season record is good, but just good. And so it puts him in this weird position where if you look at him compared to some of the other managers who aren't in the Hall of Fame he stacks up okay, but you'd probably pick one or two guys before him. Like, I'm, I'm definitely a proponent of Davey Johnson going in before Dusty. Uh, but if Dusty racks up enough wins, if he gets to 2,000 wins, it, the case is that much harder to keep him out. And I think he knows that himself. 
like these numbers, these round numbers, even though they're just numbers, they're just uh, the way we count, they matter to people. Like once you get 2,000, people are like, oh, he got 2,000 wins. Well, I can't not put him in the Hall of Fame. Right. And that's what he's going for. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, like, the only thing worse than Hall of Fame arguments is manager <laughs> Hall of Fame arguments. But then you brought yeah. Davey Johnson into it, and I was kind of thinking in my head, like, man, he had to coach, like, or manage, like, the, the 1980s Mets with, like, Daryl and Doc, and yeah. they won a World Series. And, yeah, put him in. Um, also, it's a good comp because they were both really good players. I mean, they both yeah. hit, like, whatever, 200-something homers and had, like, 2,000 hits. Dusty, Dusty, I think, was clearly a better player. But Davey wasn't a bad one, though, and he had his years. Mm-hmm. Um Dusty, though, I mean, he's he's a good manager too. You see what happens. You don't want to go out there and take a chance because you might find yourself with another Matt Williams. And you know, Dusty has had this track record of success that has gone on two decades. So you know what you're getting with Dusty. And I, I'm not the type of guy who's like, you need to sign Dusty to a four-year, forty million dollar contract. I mean, some ridiculous number, whatever the most I don't know managers are getting now. Uh, but just asking for a year beyond the current year, I don't think is asking for much. And a little more money since he has given you the results he wanted. I mean, I agree with you that it's the right thing to do. And Boswell wrote a pretty strong column about this as well. I, I'm going to play a little more, bit more devil's advocate, though. I feel like the, the hardest call we had to make this year was who was going to close, who was going to pitch the ninth inning. And they came out of spring training with Blake Trinan, who seemed to be the worst of three options. I mean, certainly in mm-hmm. hindsight. Like, I don't know. I'm not saying he shouldn't get an extension, but that, that has got to count for something. Now, now, from what all I hear is that, that Dusty had always wanted Coda. And oh, that really? Blake Trining was kind of a Mike Rizzo or Lerner-forced decision. Um, <laughs> Somebody needs to keep Lerner out of it. <laughs> keep him out of batting practice. Keep him out of a uniform. <laughs> well, be, what will be interesting in the end is if they, they let it happen. If they let Coda Glover, who seems to be competent enough to hold the position down, mm-hmm. if not good, mm-hmm. uh, if they let him pitch into the playoffs. Because the last time they had Drew Storen, you know, he had the just a little bit of that off. He had that failing in the playoffs. Let's not get it wrong. He mm-hmm. failed in that game five, even though I think Davey really set him up to fail. Mm-hmm. Um, he failed, and then they immediately replaced him. And, like, it doesn't matter how good you are. We're replacing you. And then after Soriano kind of blew up again, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I don't know if they have the faith in a young pitcher to do this. And that's, I worry a little bit that Coda will go the whole season, will be good to very good as a closer. But when it comes down to it, they'll bring in somebody else and it'll just screw everything up. Because you've seen these guys have, for whatever reason, I don't know if it's a national thing or a closer thing, these guys have these fragile psyches and they get broken by moves like that. Mm-hmm. And then we end up with Jonathan Papelbon. Yeah. <laughs> that's how that happens. Um, all right, anything else? Um, not much. Uh, the only thing I'm kind of watching right now, I was, did a little thing about Joe Ross and if he was, you know, if it was worth bringing him out every fifth game the way he looked the last couple. Mm-hmm. And after last night, it seems like it, it's perfectly reasonable. I mean, he is the best option. I was just worried he was kind of hurt and they were throwing him out there anyway. Uh, but if he keeps throwing a game like that, you just you just put him out there, even if it's every third game. I mean, Joe Ross and, struck out 12 dudes last night. I didn't, yeah, know, I mean, I didn't you know, know he had that in him. It was, it's weird because, you know, three games ago he had a game just like this, and it mm-hmm. was a great game, and then he throws up two stinkers, like mm-hmm. just bad games. 
Um, that's something you can take for the season, given how good the Nats are. Um, but it's not something you can take into the playoffs, which is a question the Nats have to ask themselves, because they really kind of ran into that problem last year of not having a fourth guy that they trusted to put out there. Uh, so I don't know if they're going to have to address it when the trade deadline comes on. But for now, you can throw Ross out there and hope he kind of settles down. And the other thing is, is Bryce is slumping again. And, you know, after last year, there's just a big question of whether, you know, he's hurt. Like if he was hurt last year, and we all think he was hurt last year, uh, could it be something that is aggravated again? Because we didn't know exactly what it was last year. I can't really say with any certainty. And usually the certainty I have is extremely low because I'm not a trainer and I'm not with the team. <laughs> but at this point, I can't say anything. Like, we just don't know what happened to him last year, what he was hurt. So is that something that is possible that it comes back yearly, that he could aggravate it again? Well, it could be. If it is, um, I don't know. That's something that we won't want to see. Because I think we we all want to see Bryce be super Bryce and just crush the ball. And it's always disappointing when he's not. Yeah, and I mean, maybe maybe it could be attributed to Hunter Strickland hitting him with a 98-mile fastball and then trying to break Bryce's hand with his face. You might you might hear that, but uh, uh, he was he's been slumping before that point. Yeah. it was it was like a week before that point where he really started to kind of. Just not hit the ball really well. A lot, a lot mm -hmm. of soft ground balls, and mm -hmm. you, you have to wonder if if it's just a normal slump or if it's something like last year. I, I wish I could say it's just a normal slump, and I think if we knew what happened last year, it'd be more, it'd be easier for me to say that, but I can't. <laughs> so now I'm watching with everybody and hoping this this upcoming homestand where you're, they're playing Texas and they're playing the Braves and they're neither team has great pitching that uh, Bryce will really kind of wake up. Well, the upside is, even though it makes no sense, um, the last time Bryce Harper played like an MVP, the Nats didn't make the playoffs. So there's that, you know? <laughs> like, well, if you want to go that way, sure. <laughs> All right, Nats fans, uh, you can read Harper at natsbaseball.blogspot.com. You can listen to us on the Mr. Elephant podcast. Subscribe via Bumpers or iTunes or Stitcher. We're just getting started out, so that would be really awesome if you did that. And my advice to everybody would be watch Max Scherzer every fifth day. It's fantastic. <laughs>